0: So good to be here this morning. I had a beautiful song service, and uh, certainly the table has been set, so to speak, for our study this morning on Is God's Love Conditional? It's been a wonderful weekend, but really, with all the festivities and all the special moments we've shared, what we're doing today is even more beautiful because it goes to Um, God and everything that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have done to bring us to this point in time. It's great to be in Bakersfield. A lot of wonderful memories here. Great to be with family. But you were all, as members of the body of Christ, our family. So it's great to be here. And I'm excited about our time to honor Jesus this morning. The late Dr. Carl Barth a 20th century Protestant theologian, was so highly respected among religious scholars that despite their many religious differences, even Pope Pius XII spoke of Barth as the greatest theologian since Thomas Aquinas of the 13th century and certainly the most influential of the 20th century. Barth Buck, the liberal Protestant theology that he trained under in Europe. Then when much of Germany was mesmerized or intimidated by Adolf Hitler, Barth refused to sign an oath of allegiance to the Nazi leader. He was in turn forced to resign from the faculty of the University of Bonn. Barth is also noted for writing the Barman Declaration where he marshaled a host of scriptures to chastise Hitler, and the Nazi party for their move to subjugate all professing German Christians to the Fuhrer. He sent a personal copy to Hitler. My favorite story, though, about Barth took place during a series of lectures in Princeton, New Jersey. Someone, at the end of that speech, they opened it up to, for question and answer period, and someone asked him, Dr. Barth, What is the greatest thought that has ever passed through your mind? He paused for several moments as he was obviously giving serious thought to how he would respond. And of course, the audience was waiting for something very profound, something to really uh, at least attempt to sink their teeth into. And then he raised his hand with childlike simplicity and said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Bar's brilliant simplicity encapsulates the core of the gospel message. We've sung about it already. The gospel means, of course, good news. And what better news is there than, as the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, twice, God is love. And this morning, all professing Christians unite on this truth. But a related question brings considerable controversy. Is God's love unconditional does God love unconditionally? And this morning, that's the topic that we'd like to explore. And I ask you this morning to reserve judgment on this question until we have had time to look at the relevant scriptures. Let's place love, God is love, back in its original context. I'm reading from 1 John chapter 4, starting with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and send his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God is love. But does God love us? Unconditionally? And what is unconditional love? We first need to understand what love is. While I so appreciate Barr's simple summary of Christianity, it is possible when we oversimplify matters that we can produce misunderstandings. Since God is love and of people in the United States claim to be Christians, then surely America understands love, knows all about love. No, not even close. You may remember about 10 years ago after seeing Florida Gator quarterback Tim Tebow wearing eye black with John 3.16 written on it, that... There were 94 million people that did a Google search on John 3, 16. Why do you think they did that? Because they had no idea what it was. It was and is the most famous New Testament scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. A young man wrote to his girlfriend, sweetheart, if this world was as hot as the Sahara Desert, I would crawl on my knees through the burning sand to come to you. If the world would be like the Atlantic Ocean, I would swim through shark infested waters to come to you. I would fight the most fiercest dragon to be by your side. And I'll see you on Thursday if it doesn't rain. Do we understand love? Psychiatrist M. Scott Peck defined love in his book, The Road Less Traveled, as the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. International Standard Bible Encyclopedia has for love, love, whether used of God or man, is an earnest and anxious desire for and an active and beneficent interest in the well-being of the one love. More simply put, love is active concern for the welfare of another. This, of course, is different, far different than the prevalent notion that love is merely a warm, positive emotion towards somebody that makes me feel good. When genuine love is present, it demands positive behavior. It affects how we act and interact toward others and it is not dependent on whether or not that individual has generated positive emotions. In this respect, love by definition is unconditional. You see, Bible love does not depend on the worthiness of the recipients. And aren't you thankful for that? In fact, the people of God are commanded in Matthew chapter five, verse 44, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Notice what Jesus adds in verse 46. He says, for if you love those who love you, What reward have you? In other words, Jesus is saying, big deal. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The Apostle Paul summarized this demonstration of love in Romans chapter five, verse 10, when he wrote, for if when we were enemies, every last one of us have been there, if we're Christians, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Going back a few verses, the same truth is articulated in Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even die dare to die but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God is love oh how thankful we should all be for that certainly the father the son and the holy spirit have shown unconditional love by giving so much of themselves for us to provide the plan of salvation. The apostle Peter further confirms God's patience and unconditional love in 2 Peter 3 verse 9 when he says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And those of us who have loved ones, who have never become Christians or who have become Christians, but for whatever reason have wandered out into the world, well, we're counting on the truth of this scripture, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus' attitude toward his enemies as he endured such cruelty on the cross sets the bar so high. Remember what he cried out in Luke chapter 23, verse 34? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So we too should demonstrate this kind of unconditional love towards others. A mother's love for her baby does not demand, that's it now, no crying, no slobbering and no more dirty diapers. Well this love doesn't do that. Our love for our children is not demanded on them, is not dependent rather on them always smiling, always eating their broccoli, hitting home runs or always getting straight A's. We love our sons and our daughters and we love them no matter what. We show ongoing active concern for their welfare despite their weaknesses, their flaws, and their failures. And we do that because we know that's what we've gotten from God. I like what 1 Corinthians 13 verse eight says in this context Love never fails, never. The Bible word love is not like the fickle romantic love that people talk about falling into or falling out of so much today. True love, the love the Bible talks about, is enduring. It can't be defeated, it can't be destroyed. Our love for our spouse does not dissipate. It does not disappear when they become sick, when they lose their job, when they lose their temper, or when they wreck the car, we still love them. We keep showing active concern for their welfare. Our love for one another does not depend on perfect church attendance, perfect pitch, attentive listening or Consistent kindness, that by far is our preference. That's what we hope for. That's what we look for. But our love for one another does not depend on those things. We continue to promote their best interest. Aren't we thankful for the image of the father who welcomes home the prodigal son after he's spent time in the hog pen of sin? We're talking about the love of God this morning. This is the love that we need. It's the love that every one of us needs. While we talk about the phrase unconditional love, that phrase itself cannot be found in the scriptures, but that idea is strongly supported from what we read about in the Bible. Again, though, it's it is possible to misunderstand and misapply the love of God by removing it from the overall biblical context of God's nature. Certainly, the greatest aspect of God's nature, of his character, is his love. And that's why we sing about it, that's why we talk about it, that's why we preach about it. Because it is so meaningful and because we need it so desperately. The difficulty that many people have though in evaluating what a loving God can do and cannot do, what a loving God does and does not do, can be, can be traced perhaps to being unaware or forgetful of the other aspects of God's nature. Yes. God is love, but there is more to God than just love. While we bask in the beauty of God's love, his mercy, and grace, as we've sung about this morning, we must also remember that the God of the Bible is holy. Think about Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. That's God. He's holy, and he is just. Jehovah God? He does not ignore rebellion. He loves us while we're in rebellion, but he does not ignore it. And if we do not eventually leave and abandon that rebellion, we'll pay the ultimate cost. Romans 11, verse 22 teaches, therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fail severity, but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. In other words, God's love does not eliminate his holiness and God's mercy does not eradicate his justice and God's grace does not exterminate his severity. God's patience does not evaporate the law of sowing and reaping. Despite the amazing love we witness through God allowing the incarnation the humiliation and crucifixion of his son, Jesus, we must also be aware that the suffering that Jesus endured in itself was a warning about the tremendous price that must be paid for the heinousness of sin. The apostle Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God offers us this tremendous gift of eternal life in spite of our failure to completely avoid sin. And so if we look to Jesus, if we live for Jesus, and in that way love Jesus, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 1 John 1 verse 7, then he will credit the sin payment he made on the cross to our personal account. If, however, we snub the Son of God and we walk away from God's love, how can we be surprised and how can we complain about spending eternity without God and his love? Consider the biblical simplicity of C.S. Lewis's summary. He says, either we say by our lives, thy will be done, or God will say to us on that final day, thy will be done. We're too often oblivious to the benefits of God's generosity that are inherent simply in his very presence. While man forfeited the grace associated with God's presence in such a special way in the garden, all mankind still receives the bounty of God's goodness through the influence of God on earth. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And so those today who want nothing to do with God, those who curse God, those who have nothing good to say about God, they still are influenced by the effects of God in this world. And so many people fail to take that into consideration. Another difficulty along these lines we tend to equate unconditional love with unconditional salvation. I know I've done that in the past. I've heard of other brothers that I highly respect of equating the two. But listen, this morning you need to understand unconditional love and unconditional salvation are not the same thing. Again, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ died for every single human being that ever walked on the planet. But not every single human being will be saved. If unconditional love can be equated with unconditional salvation, then God does not love everyone unconditionally because God does not save everyone unconditionally. Even scriptures that teach God is love seem to hint that God's love remaining constant throughout eternity depends on our receiving and abiding in that love. 1 John 4, verse eight, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 16, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. You see the qualifications there? As long as we live, God's love for us is unconditional in the sense that no matter what we do, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, his arms are extended and they're welcoming us back if we'll only come to him or return to him from the far country. At the same time, please understand that salvation is conditional. We do not determine the terms of salvation. God does that. Consider some of the scriptures that detail requirements for salvation. Matthew 18, verse three. Assuredly, I say to you, unless unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Luke 14, 26 If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You can't even get started unless we get to the point where there is no one on the planet, not our parents, not our children, not even our spouse, unless God is higher, unless our love for God is stronger, than any of them, we cannot be his disciple. And sometimes that means we have to make some hard decisions. John 3, verse 5, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Even after we've been saved, our ultimate acceptance by God is conditional. In most of the scriptures that we're about to read, you find the little word, if, setting off incontrovertibly the absolute necessity of the qualification. John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, Jesus says, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And so when we opt not to keep the word of Christ, what have we done? We forfeited the guarantee. Jesus makes similar statements about the importance of abiding or remaining in him. In the next chapter, verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I could kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Throughout the epistles, the apostle Paul upholds this same principle. 1 Corinthians 15, verse two. He speaks of the gospel by which also you were saved if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you have believed in vain. 2 Timothy 2, verse five. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Of course, God is not concerned about the Olympics. The analogy is made here by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to teach us about salvation being conditional. It would be hard to find a Bible passage that is more clear on meeting conditions to retain our relationship with Christ than James chapter five, verse 19 and 20. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This morning, there is no doubt, is there? That God loves you. There can be no doubt. God loves you even more than your mama does. That's hard to fathom, but it's the truth. Consider the words of a nearly thousand-year-old poem put to song by Frederick Lehman, the third verse of his song. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The father never stopped loving the prodigal but neither did he force himself on the prodigal. The state of the prodigal always revolves around his choices. The real issue, the question weighing in the balances, is this, do I love God back? Do I love God more than the world? Do I love God more than all that his nemesis can offer me. You know the difference really between Jesus and Satan? Satan offers you things. Jesus offers himself. We just have to make the choice. As Pilate asked so long ago, which one will it be? Which one will you choose? Elizabeth Barrett, the oldest of 12 children who lived in the early 1800s performed remarkable feats of brilliance as a child and young adulthood without any formal education. Amazing to read how that by age eight she learned to read Homer in the original Greek And when she was a teenager, she was reading the Hebrew scriptures. Elizabeth, though, is most known for her poetry. One of her most famous lines is, how do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Some of you as young people may think from time to time that you have controlling parents. You ain't seen nothing. Elizabeth Barrett, the oldest of 12 children, was told by her father, as were her other siblings, you may never get married. You are forbidden from marrying. One day, though later in life, Elizabeth Barrett met Robert Browning, and even though she was in poor health, he loved her. They fell in love, and despite her father's orders his command, she married him. But in his anger and frustration, her father refused to ever see her again. Elizabeth nourished her broken heart by writing impassioned letters to her father. Love letters, pleading with him as the father that she held so dear that she would take him back, that she would come, that he would come and visit her, that everything could be like it was once again. There was no response. The years wore on, still no response. Finally, a year before her father's death, she received a box in the mail from her father. Her excitement soon turned to anguish as she opened up that box she discovered in it was every letter she had ever written unopened. Have you ever heard of a more tragic story of unrequited love? But this morning, there is something more tragic. If you have or have not read the story, and these letters, of love that God has written to you and then can still go on in your life without returning that love, without showing God how much love and appreciation you have for him by abiding in his love and living for him and settling instead for the things that Satan has to offer. As we bring our lesson to a close this morning, understand and remember that God's love is unconditional. He will always love you no matter what. But also understand that salvation is not unconditional. He will not force himself on you. This morning, won't you turn to God or turn back to God? If you've not obeyed the gospel, won't you do so? Believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, won't you repent of your sins? Won't you confess before men, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Won't you be immersed in the watery grave of baptism? Become a child of God. Turn to him. Run to him. Maybe this morning there's someone here who is a Christian, but there's something that's not right in your life. You're holding back. You're not giving God everything you have. Maybe there's someone in your life that you're loving more than God. You need to give him everything. You need to turn it all over to him. You need to come to him. There's sin in your life. Won't you repent of it? Won't you confess it? We'll pray with you and for you. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 730 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.